Buddhist Geeks. Seriously Buddhist. Seriously Geeky. Episode 48, Monasteries as the Conscience of Society. In this episode, we speak with the Venerable Tupton Chodron, a Western Tibetan nun in the Geluk tradition. Listen in as she reflects on the role that monasteries play, both for the monks and nuns who live there, as well as for society at large. This is part two of a two-part series. This episode of Buddhist Geeks is sponsored by the Do No Harm Movement. To learn more about the Do No Harm Movement, and to receive your free Do No Harm bumper sticker and wristband, please visit donoharm.us. mentioned the Abbey, and I wondered if you could say something about the vision and uh, mission of the Abbey and how it's gone so far. Okay. Um, Well, let's see. My vision was to set up a monastic community here in the West because there aren't many monastic communities in the Tibetan tradition in the West, and many people ordain, and then they are left on their own, you know, to find support, to... Mm -hmm find a place to live and a teacher to study with. And that's really not the way the Buddha set things up. He, he wanted people to live together, monastics to live together. Mm. And so I wanted to create a place where people could come and do that and where people who were contemplating taking monastic ordination could come and live in community and see what it's like to live with precepts and live in community. Mm. And then that way they could... Uh, have a taste of it before actually taking the ordination. Great. And it sounds like it's been going quite well. I know you've been um, having uh, regular three-month retreats, and there's one happening right now. Is that mm-hmm. Yeah. We started this actually from the very beginning, um, right. having three a three-month winter retreat. So we're four years old, and we just began our fourth winter retreat. That's wonderful. Yeah. And then we, you know, have study programs and, you know, Vinaya teachings, Vinaya is the monastic discipline. Mm-hmm. And then also what, what we do is we emphasize a lot using community life as part of our practice, mm. you know, because, for example, we study so much about love and compassion for all sentient beings. and It sounds great. But then living love and compassion and patience and generosity in your daily life, Mm -hmm. that's not so easy. And so in our daily life here at the Abbey, we really emphasize trying to do that. And we emphasize being transparent and kind of letting people know what the issues are that we're working with so that we get over this thing of trying to look like we're perfect practitioners or perfect <laughs> monastics that, you know, we have it all down when, right. you know, we don't at all. Uh-huh. And so really learning to be open, learning to accept ourselves and to let people know if we're working on our anger or our attachment or whatever it is, but without feeling ashamed of that, without feeling like, oh, you know, I have to put on this good front and look like a good Dharma practitioner because, you know, when you try and do that, that just really messes your mind up. Mm. Yeah, That seems like one of of the great uh, benefits of of a monastic community is 
I mean, one is obviously intense practice and study, um, mm-hmm. but the other, which uh, you couldn't get unless you were in a community, would be that connection and like carrying practice throughout the entire day. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Yep. And I think that's really important because I think as Westerners, we want connection and we want community, but we don't always know how to create it. Mm-hmm. And when we create it, we don't know how to maintain it, mm. you know, mm-hmm. because to get along with people over a period of time, we really have to put the six paramitas into practice. We really have to learn about, you know, generosity and ethical conduct and patience and love and compassion and mm. all those things. Mm. And so the, the very ground for us practicing the Dharma is are living together, and everybody here is trying to do that. So Mm. it's a special kind of situation because you support each other in your practice, and yet because we all have minds filled with afflictions, we also sometimes annoy each other unintentionally, and (laughs) all this other stuff goes on, regular human life goes on. So you're trying to kind of identify all of that and use the dharma to to work with your own mind and also to support other people to do the same Mm. in order to create a community that nourishes everybody's practice right yeah and i mean i've only had a very small glimpse of like what that might look like with the the new company that that i've helped start falling fruit which this show's a part of most of the people here um, do regular meditation and Buddhist practice. Mm. And that's, I mean, that's pretty unique in itself for the Western culture to be connected with so many people around you yeah. during the daily life. And I found that very supportive. And that's that's only a, probably a fraction of uh, the experience uh, that you would get living in a monastic community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's certainly helpful. Yeah. I wonder if you might say some more about your uh, thoughts on how uh, monastic life and and monasteries are beneficial in, in the Western culture because, like you said, they're pretty rare right now. There's only a few in the West right now. Yeah. I think, actually, they're, they're quite important. If you look historically, it's principally been the monasteries mm-hmm. that have been the places where the Dharma has been able to be preserved. And I think that happens because when... You live together in a community, then you have a particular physical location, so people know, oh, I can go there, Mm. you know, if I want to learn. And also you have a group of people who have decided that they want to live a simple life. And so when you have a simple life, which our monastic vows help us to live, then you have more time for Dharma study and Dharma practice. So, for example... You know, you keep celibate. And I know in America people think, oh, celibate, you know, what's that? That's mm-hmm. nuts. And mm-hmm. let me tell you, when I was 21, I would have said the same thing. Um, <laughs> I met the Dharma three years later when I was 24, so obviously I thought different, uh, you know, by then. But when you don't have uh, romantic relationships and then you don't have kids, actually you have a lot more time. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then also as monastics, we, we, live, we live a life of generosity. Like I mentioned before, you know, I feel very strongly about the Dharma should be free. And so mm. here at the Abbey, 
we don't charge for anything. And we hope that other people see value in what we're doing and will make donations and offerings. Mm. And in that way, because we aren't charging, we aren't doing a business, Mm -hmm. we have more time for actual study and practice and service. And then also, it enables us to make our lives, lives of generosity. And then when other people reciprocate, they accumulate merit and good energy by being generous themselves. Mm -hmm. So I I think it sets up a whole different dynamic. Mm -hmm. I think in monasteries also, because you had asked me kind of what the benefits are, I think in some way that monasteries act as the conscience of society. Mm. And you see this very clearly in what just happened in Burma. Mm. You know, the monastics were the conscience of the society. And they said, what's happening is not conducive for the happiness of the majority of people. Mm. So I think, you know, you act as that conscience. and, And then also by living a simple lifestyle without a lot of possessions, without, you know, a big social life and family and things like that. You pose a question to the rest of society, not intentionally, but just by how you live. Right. Uh, what's important in life? Mm. Now, is running around, getting the newest this, the newest that, and upgrading your computer here and da-da-da-da-da, is that really making you happy? I'd really like to upgrade my Mac, but <laughs> but I'll take your word on this one. <laughs> you know, so I right. think we, we kind of pose that question. Uh-huh. And then also, you know, a number of people write to us and they say that just knowing that you're there practicing gives me hope for the world. Mm. So I think monasteries also provide that sense of sanctuary and hope and optimism that, yes, there are people who are ordinary people, but who are really trying and making it the priority of their, in their life to cultivate their qualities. Mm. And, and so I think that brings a sense of, of comfort and optimism to, to many people in society at large. Mm. That's wonderful. Having a monastery, then, of course, you know, you not only benefit society, but the individuals who, who live here also benefit. Right. Because you have a conducive place to study and practice. You have support, you know, material and moral and mm. spiritual. And so it's, it's good for the individual as well. Right. Yeah, because that's one of the um, issues that we've talked about before on Buddhist Geeks is finding that support for Dharma practice. In general, both like if you wanted to uh, take monastic vows or if you're just really dedicated lay practitioner is finding that way to have supportive environments mm-hmm. and uh, communities to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because when you have to, you know, worry about paying your car insurance and your <laughs> mortgage and, <Right. laughs> you know, and then, of course, all your social obligations. Mm-hmm. I mean, it takes a lot of mental energy as well as time. Definitely. Children, is there um, anything else that you would like to to bring up that uh, maybe I missed? Maybe a little bit about gender equality. Sure. And and how I think that that is 
is really an important element. Mm-hmm. And how to say it's right there in the Buddha's teachings. You know, all sentient beings are equal in wanting happiness and want and not wanting suffering. All mm-hmm. sentient beings are equal in having the Buddha potential, the Buddha nature. Right. And so I think having Buddhist institutions that are gender equal, or maybe better put, gender irrelevant, are really very, very needed. And this is easier to do in a Western context, I think. Mm-hmm. In Asia, it's, it's more difficult because the Buddhist institutions have existed there for a long time. Right. Yeah. But uh, I think really making the Dharma available to everybody, you know, men and women, mm-hmm. and then also, like I said before, to people who are rich and people who are poor, mm. you know, and people who are educated and people who aren't educated. I think the Dharma should be for everybody. Right. Yeah, we just did um, record an interview with Judith Simmer Brown um, mm-hmm. and focusing on uh, a lot about that, especially within Dharma practice itself. I'm not sure when that's going to air, but it's going to be soon. So that'll be uh, great to have that episode dedicated mm. to that. What did she say? Um, well, actually, Vince did that interview, um, and I wasn't part of it, so I haven't got to listen. It just happened this weekend. Uh-huh. But uh, you, do you know her? Yeah. Yeah, so mm-hmm. she's definitely been um, a person who's been an advocate for that for quite a long time um, mm-hmm. in her writings and her teachings. So um, I'm looking forward to listening to it. And Vince uh, told me it was a really great conversation with her. Mm-hmm. So that'll be great to have a part of our website, too. Yeah, and she's a very good example of somebody who uh, just went and used her potential and, mm. you know, right, has become somebody who, who, you know, is a teacher and can really guide people and be an example for others and so forth. Definitely, definitely. Great. Well, children, thank you so much for joining us. Um, as always, it's a pleasure for me to, to speak with you and... Uh, I always leave uh, feeling extremely motivated, inspired to, to practice. So, And I'm, I think other people will feel the same way when they hear this. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting buddhistgeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community 
and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.